0: Good morning. Welcome. Glad you're here. Um, we are still in our series in the midst of Esther. We'll be there a few more weeks and then we're going to do 1 John. And so if you want to start finishing up or Esther, reading through it, we're going to also go into 1 John after that and then we'll do Joshua this summer. So those are some of the coming books if you're looking for something to read in your, your daily time and you want to prepare your heart. Um, we, we're dropping ourselves in the midst of our series and the title of our series is If It Pleases the King. Um, a lot of churches, a lot of people when they do the book of Esther will, um, will quote the, the verse we looked at last week, for such a time as this. And while that's appropriate, when you look through the book, really the, the, the phrase that keeps popping up all the way through the book is this phrase, if it pleases the king. You see it over and over again, that phrase in the book. And it's this idea of what does it mean to, to not be about yourself but to please the king for his pleasure, not for your own. And we see people in the book that are trying to please the king for their pleasure versus his. And we we see that he's not a good king. He's kind of a wicked guy. It's the king of Persia. Xerxes is the king, if you look him up historically. And Esther is the new queen. Vashti got kicked out. We'll talk about that in a second. And so we find ourselves in the midst of this story. And as I was preparing this week, I had actually prepared this message two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I prepared this message. And then when I started looking back over it this morning, I'm like, whoa, I need to change this. Because here's what happened in my life this week that fits the story much better. And I moved the title for this week to to next week. And that's this. We bought a wedding dress this week. Right? My daughter's getting married. We finally found a dress. On Monday, they bought a wedding dress. Oh, my. Why so much for clothes? Right? (laughs) Right? Like seriously, I'm like I. You can elope. I'll write you a check. You know, type like. I mean, oh my goodness. And so I am struggling with this during the like. And I didn't know. I didn't even. I didn't even ask how much. I knew better. I didn't even ask. Like, I. I mean, we're not. We're trying to keep things small, and we are being you know careful. I mean, Grandma and Grandpa brought um, glass things they have at home for us to put on the tables. They brought a box of like little glass things to put candles in. So we're trying to find ways to do this cheaply and. But when, you know, when you're doing a large wedding, when, when you're including more people, when you're, when you're trying to, to, to make it a day that glorifies God and you want to invite people to that, which this wedding, we hope, is a glorification of who God is and what he's done in my daughter's life and in Miles, her fiance's life, and what they're going to do together for Christ as they, they launch out into the world. Like I want people to be a part of that, and I, and I, I, want, I want things to go the right way, but man, it's costly it's costly to have the right kind of clothes, right? And so this morning, the title of our message is In Royal Clothing, because that's what we're going to see in this passage over and over again. And I missed it the first time two weeks ago when I went through it, and then when I went back through it this time, I'm like, that's it. Like, that, look at what happened. So we're going to dive right in. If you remember last week, there was a clothing dispute last week. Okay, Mark preached last week, did a great job, talked about the irrevocable decree. That the king had made a decree through Haman that all the Jews now are going to be killed on a certain day. And they set a date for that. And now Mordecai hears about it. Mordecai is Esther's adopted father who has raised Esther. Okay, and Esther went into a beauty pageant she didn't want to be a part of, basically was forced prostitution, or forced rape, forced slavery, and now she got selected to be the queen, which you think, wow, that's great. Yeah, but you didn't choose any of this. You didn't choose to be to, to buy the dress you wanted or be with the man you wanted. You're stuck in this. And that's where Esther finds herself. And Mordecai, once he hears that the Jews are going to be slaughtered, he puts on sackcloth and ashes, and he begins, he puts on sackcloth, that's like gunny sack, like rough, and he's crying out in the open, in the city where Esther's the queen, crying out for God's mercy in front of people, and everybody's like, this guy's nuts. Like, like you can't look like this in the king's palace city of Susa. Like, this is the special city that that he built for himself, and there's this guy, Haman, who, who was the one that cursed the Jews, and Mordecai refuses to bow to Haman. He refuses to bow, which is what got Haman to want to kill not only Mordecai, but all of Mordecai's people. The problem is nobody knows that Esther, who is in royal clothing because she's queen, is a Jew because they've kept that secret. They didn't want anybody to know. And so here you have Esther in the midst of this, and this is what we looked at this week. Esther sent Mordecai messengers, and she gave him clothes. She sent him clothes and said, please stop looking like an idiot. You're all in ashes, like like we just did Ash Wednesday as, as a history. Like You've got ashes on and you've got gunny sack on. You look terrible, here's some clothes, put them on. And Mordecai's like, no, you don't understand what's happening. You're not concerned about the things of God. And he confronts her, and here's what happens. This is what we read last week in verse 13. It said, Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther. So they bring the clothes, he's like, No. You tell Esther this, you go back and tell. Don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you're in the king's palace. Don't think you'll escape just because you're dressed different. Don't think that it's not going to come back on you someday. And then he says, if you keep silent at this time, liberation and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place, but you and your father's house will be destroyed. Now remember, her father's house has already been destroyed. Her dad died. So what Mordecai's saying is not just your dad who died and your mom and I raised you, but we're talking about the entire generation before, like, why, you will not be remembered in history. It'll pass over you, but you have an opportunity to have an impact because of your position. And he looks at her and he says, but even if you don't, doesn't matter. God's going to fulfill his plan through someone. He's going to dress someone to the part that he needs to get the job done. He's going to give somebody the clothes, somebody the authority, somebody is going to step up. Will it be you? And that's the same message for us today. The problem is, we don't know how we're clothed. And and you go on, it says this, who knows, perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther sent this reply back to Mordecai, because this could have gone badly. Esther could have been like, I don't like you anymore. I'm queen, and I just sent messengers back to slaughter you because you're an idiot. Like, she could have done that. She was queen. She had power to be able to do those kind of things. This is what Esther replies back. So humble. She says, go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. means not eating. That means she's saying, any Jewish person, get the word out, Anybody that can fast for me and go before God Almighty and ask him to clothe me properly when I stand before the king, because if I go to the king, we found out in the last passage in chapter four, if she goes to the king and the king does not put out his scepter, she's dead. They'll execute her, because you're not allowed to approach the king, mainly because they don't want kings to get killed, right? They don't want coups to happen, and so they protect the king vehemently, and with Vashti, what we learned before, the queen before Esther, you got issues, and so here's Esther, and she's like, okay, here's what I'll do. Don't eat or drink for three days, day or night. Can you imagine asking people to pray for you, to say, don't eat or drink for three days. I'm, I'm desperate for you to go before God Almighty and ask him to clothe me properly so that the king will accept me goes on and it says I and my female servants will also fast in the same way after that I will go to the king even if it's against the law if I perish I perish so Mordecai went and did everything Esther had ordered him you see this picture of Esther saying you know what you're right I don't know how this is going to go down but I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to do my best. I'm going to put on my best, and I'm going to ask God for his best for the task that's in front of me. Listen, for you, that may be going to work tomorrow. <laughs> like, you may need to fast and pray, God, help me to be prepared tomorrow for what I'm getting ready. Like, we take for granted where God has us in the moment because we're always looking for something more, something better, something not looking at where we're at right now. And Esther is like, I can't ignore where I'm at right now. I can't ignore what's happened. So we dive into chapter five. It says, on the third day, so now they fasted and prayed, We don't know how many of the people at fasting and praying put on sackcloth and ashes to fast and pray, but see, they may not have even known that they were praying for Esther because the Jews were just told they were going to be executed. So many probably would have thought, oh, the Jews are in sackcloth and ashes crying out to their God that they would be saved. They don't even know that other people that aren't believers that they're praying for Esther specifically because remember, they don't even know Esther's a Jew at this point. And so it goes on. It says, on the third day, Esther dressed up. In her royal clothing. She put on the authority she had. She put on everything she had. And she dressed up and it said, and stood in the inner courtyard of the palace facing it. You can see her walk into the inner courtyard and she is standing facing the the king. Like he can see out. Like there's, there's no hiding that you're not supposed to be here. And she's put on her best for him. This man that isn't worth it. This man who is a wicked king. Who, who is? He was. He was not a good guy. This, who raped her and forced her to be his wife. And Esther is standing before him. And it says the king was sitting on his royal throne in the royal courtroom, facing its entrance. Entrance. Don't you know she probably knew this. Probably some eunuchs, hey, I gotta go before the king, can you ha-? like she, this was probably, okay, I know he's sitting on his throne, he's gonna be looking out, I'm going. Now remember, okay, and it says this, Esther standing in the court, as soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in the courtyard, now pause, you're Esther, king makes eye contact with you, and you're wondering what's gonna happen now. You've seen him treat another wife terribly, Vashti. Just dismiss her. Start over. But it says, she won his approval. The king extended the gold scepter in his hand toward Esther, and she approached and touched the tip of the scepter. I wonder to myself, if while Xerxes is on the throne, it wasn't a stark comparison to Vashti. Vashti, the queen that he asked to come, who wouldn't come, and Esther, who he didn't ask, and he put in an awful situation. We don't know how Vashti became queen. It may have been an arranged marriage through a treaty. It could have been she wanted to be. We don't know, but Esther, for him to see her and say, I couldn't get Vashti to come when I asked, but this woman's showing up and giving herself to me. There had to be a moment of that thought in that moment. Of, of here is this woman who's, who's back. Like, and there had to be that moment of, wow, and of course he's going to extend the scepter. Okay, like, I couldn't get my former, but you're here. You're with me. Like, Wow. And you put on the clothes. You didn't just come in. And, like, I tried to get Vasti to put on the royal clothes so I could show her off. And I didn't even ask you when you're coming to show off. Like, wow. See, Esther knows how to properly approach the king. We remember that when we read the chapters before because she would ask the eunuchs, what does the king like? What's best to please him? She was always looking for what pleases the king. She knew she needed to put on the royal clothes and approach him the proper way. She knew that if she did, she couldn't just go in and kick open the door and say, listen here, buddy. I'm your wife, and I'm going to tell you what to do. Like, that's not the proper way to approach the king who just got rid of his former wife. Now, for those of you husbands and wives elbowing each other, okay, like, this is a wicked king in a terrible circumstance. This is not like, and that's how it should be in our lives. No. This is God making the best out of a terrible circumstance. Wives should be able to approach their husbands openly without fear, and we're going to see that in a minute. The Bible's clear on that, of how we are to approach our king. It goes on and says this. In Isaiah, it says, I greatly rejoice in the Lord. I exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness, just as a groom wears a turban and a bride adorns herself with jewels. He is talking in Isaiah 61 about the Savior that's to come. That's, we just talked about that in the song we sing. This is Isaiah 61, and it says, I greatly rejoice in the Lord. Not in myself, not my abilities, not that look how, my, how beautiful I've become. No, he says, I greatly rejoice in him because God has clothed me. You see, Esther realized, listen, Esther realized in the moment that Mordecai pushed back on her that she went, you know what? God has clothed me for this moment. I have royal clothes in my closet. I'm the only Jew in the world that can approach the king. I don't know how it's going to go, but no one else can approach him. I'm the only one that has the ability, the clothing, the right. I can approach him when no one else can. And she recognizes that. See, the problem we have as believers sometimes, and we'll look at this as we go on, we forget who's clothed us. If we know Jesus Christ The Bible says that he has clothed us with his righteousness. That he has has loved us and he has clothed us. I mean, look at Genesis. Genesis talks about this. In verse 7 of Genesis, right after man and woman decide to tell God he's not enough. I don't want to listen to you. I'm going to listen to the serpent. We're going to overthrow the king on the throne and go with what the serpent says. And we want to be kings. The second they do that, it says the eyes of them... Both of them were opened and they knew they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They tried to cover up. Gotta cover up. Because I'm exposed and wow, I know it now and I didn't before. And, and I, gotta, I gotta cover, the, oh, because God's gonna see me. And then it says they went and hid. They tried to hide. Not only did they cover with fig leaves, then they're like trying to hide behind bushes to God. Like seriously, like that's gonna work. But this is what we do, right? It's like the one-year-old that hides in the middle of your living room and puts his hands on his face and I'm hiding from you. And you're like, yeah, great. I can't find you, right? We'll play the game with them. But in reality, it's like you're not hiding. I see you completely (laughs) in the middle of my living room. It's the way it is with God. We think we can hide. And then it says, look, in verse 21, after God gives the curse, and he says, because of what you've done, You're now going to die physically and possibly spiritually if you don't let me clothe you. And it says in verse 21 the Lord made clothing out of skins for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. He clothed them. They had just done awful things to him, terrible things. They ruined the entire plan that he had for the world. They turned it upside down, and he still clothed them. He said, I- ma- I'm, I'm going to clothe you. Now, the clothing they had to wear was really disgusting, because it was their pets. God was making a statement to say that it's going to take death for you to be clothed. It's where the sacrificial system comes from. He took animal skins, and he clothed them. These were the animals Adam named. In the garden, he said, What you've done is costly, and I'm giving you a temporary clothing. But then, if we read on in scripture, it says, I'm going to bring a permanent clothing for you. Look at what 2 Corinthians 5 says about this when Paul's writing about this. He says, For we know that if our temporary earthly dwelling is destroyed, that's our bodies, that's Adam and Eve, their bodies, this naked body. We have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this body desiring to put on our dwelling from heaven. Since we are clothed, we will not be found naked. If God has clothed you, then you don't have to be scared to come to him. If you know you're naked, if you know you've sinned, if you know you've messed up, you don't have to be scared to come to him because he says, I want to clothe you. I don't want to kill you. I don't want to get rid of you. I want a relationship with you. Then he goes on and he says, since then, or since we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are because we do not want to be unclothed but clothed so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. And the one who has prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave the spirit as a down payment. This is Esther. I have been prepared for this very purpose to put on the royal clothing and go represent my God to the world. And to the known king of the world in this moment. That's our job every day as believers. As a Christian, our job is to recognize that there is a naked world out there. There are people that are going to stand before God stripped bare and they're not going to survive. And our job is to say, come out of hiding. Who of you will come out of hiding and meet my God? He will clothe you. He clothed me. You can't do it on your own. You can't like bring the right clothes. You don't have them. He has to give them to you. Just like a father buys a dress for his daughter. It goes on and it says this. Matthew 22, there's a story about a wedding. And the backstory of this is, is Jesus' teaching. And he's telling them about a wedding feast and he says, you know, for centuries I've been inviting the Hebrews, the Israelites to this wedding and they're rejecting me. And the Pharisees get, he's talking to the Pharisees and we'll see in a second, they get what he's talking about. And so he says, he tells this parable and they went out and they invited all the proper guests. In other words, the Israelites and all of them said no, they, they were too busy, they didn't want to come. He even says that they even seized the servants and treated them outrageously and killed the servants because they're like, quit bugging us. The king was enraged, so he sent out troops and he destroyed the murderers and burned down their city. That's what happened to Jerusalem. That's what happened to the people of God. Every time he'd send them prophets, and the prophets would say, You guys are naked and unclothed. You need to repent and go before God. He will clothe you. You need to give sacrifices, cover the altar in the clothing of blood before God, for the sins are many. They would reject it every time. And so he says to his slaves, after they he knows, Jesus knows he's going to the cross to be rejected by those who should embrace him. And he says, so those slaves went out on the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. Why? Because the king said, go find some guests. Go find some other people that want to come. But when the king came in, To view the guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. So he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him up, hand and foot, and throw him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are invited, but few are chosen. Few are willing to make the choice when they've been invited. You see, God says, I want everyone to be invited. I, I want everyone to be invited into a relationship with me, but you have to understand that you can't just show up however you want and think it's gonna go okay. If, if I haven't provided your clothing, you're in trouble when you show up, and I'm gonna notice. I'm gonna notice you're naked. If someone showed up and sat down in church naked, we'd all notice, every one of us. No one here would be like, oh, that's an interesting, inch- hi, how are you? You would like be like, he's naked, she's naked, I don't know what to do now. Like you would... It would be hard to greet them, right? Like, like, that's exactly this story. And Jesus, listen, Jesus isn't talking to lost people here. He's talking to religious leaders. He's looking at a bunch of religious leaders that are dressed in their full religious clothing. They have their, their taluses on and their phylacteries that are tied with scriptures. I mean, they are decked to the hilt. He looks at them and goes, you're not dressed properly. But all these other people, they're they're, they're dressed properly. That's offensive. And that's why right after that, it says the Pharisees then went and tried to find a way to trap it. Right after that, like we gotta find a way to trap this guy. We're tired of this. Because he calls them out. See, so often we can think, well, I'm good, I'm clothed. God loves me, it's no big deal. You're right, God does love you. He loves you enough to tell you, you need to put some clothes on. He loves you enough to cover you properly so that you can serve others properly. He loves you enough to, to say, "This is what works in my kingdom and in relationship with other people." It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And can you imagine, in these days, the wedding lasted a week long. This would have been a week-long feast, so you've got to wear maybe the same clothes all week. I don't know. But it was a week-long feast. And so whenever I'm thinking about paying for this wedding, God's been convicting me because I look at this and I go, they did a week long. Yeah, like you had to feed them all week. I'm just trying to get one day in, you know. And what a celebration to be invited, that you get to be invited to this wedding that God says. So then we dive back into Esther. It says, she touches the scepter and it says, what is it, Queen Esther? I love this. He looks and goes, hey, what is it? And he addresses her royalty, Queen Esther. The king asked her, look at this. He is so overwhelmed by what she has done because Vashti wouldn't come and here is this woman who I kind of forced and went through a beauty pageant who's standing before, she wants to come to me and she's done it properly. She's done the right thing. And he looks and he says, whatever you want, even to half the kingdom will be given to you. What? Now, this, is a, this could be a huge temptation to Esther. I mean, she came in here to ask a specific thing. She came in here to, to try to ask about, you know, saving the Jewish people. Now, he's like, you could have asked my kingdom. Wait, half the kingdom is half the soldiers. <laughs> yes. I'll take half the soldiers, I'm gonna kick some booty. We're gonna take Haman down, we're gonna kill everybody. This is gonna be fun. Like she could have gone there. She could have easily gone right to give me half your kingdom and half your soldiers. Okay, let's go. But she knows had she done that, she would have just created a mess and a war. So she looks and she says, if it pleases the king. She she makes no demand. She says, well, what pleases you? You see, this is the problem with a lot of prosperity gospel preaching and teaching today. Is they tell you to go to God and you tell him what you want. Versus saying before you get there, you know, what, what would it, how would I please the king? What clothes, how, how do I approach, like what would be pleasing to him? Because, because he's a king and, and not only is he a king, he's a perfect king. He's not like this Xerxes jerk guy. He's like the perfect king who loves me and cares for me. Like, like I... I want to approach him properly. I I want to come before him. And I know that I can and he wants me to. And so there's this beautiful relationship that should be happening. Esther replied, may the king and Haman come today to the banquet I have prepared for them. Hold on. Not only has she come dressed, she has already for the last three days while fasting prepared a banquet. While asking all of her people not to take a bite of food, you need to prepare food for Haman and this king. Two wicked guys. She has been preparing for this moment. That takes a lot of faith. That takes faith to believe that that the scepters, you're gonna be able to be rescued. Otherwise, you don't prepare. You're like, well, if he rescues me, then I'll go get prepared. And see, that's the way we go before God so often. Well, if God does this, then I'll do this. Versus saying, no, he's worthy of honor and glory and praise and magnification, and so I'm gonna just get prepared, and if he kills me, he'll find out I put a banquet on for him, and he'll probably go. (laughs) I just won't be there, because I'll be dead. (laughs) And then maybe he'll be convicted and be like, oh, I killed her, and she loved me. She wanted to throw me a banquet. What a jerk I am. Like, wait, this is an incredible act of faith, and then it says, look, the king commanded Hurry and get Haman so we can do as Esther has requested. (laughs) Like, not only is he like, sure, come on in. He's like, this is awesome. I want a party. Look, she also knows that this guy loves a party. He had a 180-day party to start out the book of Esther. A 180-day party. She's like, if I throw him a party, he's there every time. Like, this guy loves parties, I'm throwing it, he'll be there. And that's what she does. This is genius. She could have immediately asked for what she wanted, and she's not going to do that. No, she is going to butter him up. She's going to prove that when I make my ask, this has nothing to do with me and what I want. This has to do with the fact that I recognize your authority, your king, it's your will, it's your kingdom, not mine. And so when I make my request, I want to be sure you know that. Then it goes on, it says, the king said all this. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. While drinking the wine, the king asked Esther. Look, he, he's, like, he's sitting here he's like, this is amazing. I cannot believe you've done this. this is what, no woman does this. What do you, I mean, he's just blown away. And he says, whatever, whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you want, even half the kingdom will be done. I mean, it's like, here she, she's, okay, here it comes. Nope, that's not what Esther does. Look, Esther answered, this is my petition and request. And you think, oh, here it comes. If the king approves of me and it pleases the king, what? He already has proven that he approves of you. Like, he's already told you it's his pleasure to give you half the kingdom. And she's still like, yeah, but I just, I just want to be sure. Like, and then she says, the king If the king approves of me and it pleases the king to grant my petition and perform my request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet. I will prepare for them tomorrow. I will do what the king has asked. You're going to throw me another party. I love this woman. She's amazing. I get two parties. Like, remember, when, when the king threw his party, what did Vashti do? She threw a party for her women, separate from the king's party. She didn't ask to be invited. She didn't want to be a part. She said, I'll have my friends, you have your friends, and we'll call it good. And when the king invited her, she's like, no way. Esther is like, I want everybody to come. And she's inviting Haman, who's the biggest jerk in the world. But man, there's a plan unfolding because Esther is no dummy. See, Esther knows the proper way to approach the king. She understands what she's doing, and she understands what she's getting ready to do. That day, Haman left full of joy and in good spirits. Of course, everything seems to be working out well for you. Mordecai's getting ready to get killed, right? Everything's going well. The Jews have been cursed. A day's been picked when you're going to get to kill all your enemies because he was Haman the Agagite. Now you've been invited to one party with the queen and king. Nobody gets their own private party with the king and queen. And now you're getting invited to another private party with the king and queen. This could, I mean, if you're looking at this circumstantially, everyone in the world will be like, man, Haman's the luckiest, most amazing man ever that he gets to do this. And God is setting a trap. You see, sometimes what we'll do when it comes to making requests and looking at God, and this we can be guilty of this is we'll look at the outer circumstances. We'll look at how things are working out, and like Haman, we'll think, well, obviously God's pleased with me. Obviously I've done the right things. Obviously the gods want me to to, to increase and multiply and be wonderful, and we'll never question our motives or our heart. And that's Haman. It goes on, it says, but when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate, and Mordecai didn't rise or tremble in fear at his presence, Haman was filled with rage towards Mordecai. Yet Haman controlled himself and went home. What a nice guy. He controlled himself. He didn't beat Mordecai up right then and there. He sent for his friends and his wife Zeresh to join him. Then Haman described for them the glorious wealth and his many sons. He told them all how all how told them all how the king had honored him and promoted him in rank over the other officials and the royal staff. What's more, Haman added, Queen Esther invited No one but me to join at the king's banquet she had prepared. I'm invited again tomorrow to join with her and the king. Still, none of this satisfies me. None of this satisfies me since I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate all the time. You see, what can happen in our lives is that we can have a relationship or a problem or an issue in our lives And that thing begins to determine everything else in our life and drive us and we don't even realize that our hate, our anger, our bitterness, our problems is driving everything else and is destroying us from within. And his hatred is destroying him from within. It goes on and his wife, Zeresh, what a good woman, and all his friends told him, have them build gallows, 75 feet high, ask the king in the morning to hang Mordecai on it. Then go to the banquet with the king and enjoy yourself. The advice pleased Haman. So he had the gallows constructed. I can do whatever I want because the king likes me. I don't have to ask. I don't have to ask if it pleases the king to build a gallows. I don't have to ask. I'm just gonna do it. Because you know what? I'm blessed. God loves me. He thinks I'm awesome, so I can just do what I want. And he has no idea that that kind of mentality always sets up a trap. And also, false prophets will always tell you what you want to hear. False prophets will never tell you. You might want to wait until after the banquet. No, like, oh, get what you want now. You go get Mordecai. You build those gals. You take care of it. Oh, you you deserve, because you're awesome. Versus the biblical message that says, we deserve nothing. God is awesome. And if it pleases him, we should do it. It goes on and says this, that night, sleep escaped the king. So he ordered the book recording daily events to be brought and read to the king. They found the written report of how Mordecai had informed on Bigthana and Teresh, two eunuchs who guarded the king's entrance when they planned to assassinate King Azurus. The king inquired what honor and special recognition have been given to Mordecai for this act. The king's personal attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. Remember, Mordecai saved the king. He didn't act in bitterness and revenge. He said, you know, I need to warn the king. And he warned the king of what was coming. And so remember what's going on. In the morning, what's Haman getting ready to do? Haman's getting ready in the morning to walk out of his door, grab, go to the king, come back, grab Mordecai, and take Mordecai to the gallows and then go have a party and celebrate his victory, right? And now the king is having this dream. The king asked... <laughs> Who is in the court? Who's here early in the morning? who's, Who's present? Now, Haman was just entering the outer court of the palace to ask the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows he had prepared for him. The irony is thick. And it says, The king's attendants answered him, Haman is there. Standing in the courtyard. So you have the image of Esther standing humbly and having prepared a banquet for the king. And now you have the image of Haman standing there having prepared gallows for Mordecai. And it says, have him enter, the king ordered. Haman entered and the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king wants to honor? If you can't laugh at this, like this is, this is God and this is what God does all the time when you read the Bible. This is funny. I mean, it's tragic, but it's funny. I mean, this, this is kind of comical. And it's, if this was a movie, you'd be like, oh, dude. Like, you'd be laughing in the movie theater and thinking I probably shouldn't be laughing about this because people are gonna die, but this is funny. And it says, Haman thought to himself, who is the king? Who is it the king would want to honor more than me? See, this is what we're taught so often in, the, in Western Christianity. Well, God, God just loves me so much and he wants to honor me so much that I just, I, just, I could ask him whatever I want. He's gonna do it. It goes on, it says, Haman told the king, for the man the king wants to honor, have them bring in a royal garment, royal clothes, that the king himself has worn, and a horse the king himself has ridden, which has a royal diadem on its head, put the garment and the horse under the charge of one of the king's most noble officials and have them clothe the man the king wants to honor, parade him on the horse through the city square and proclaim before him, this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. He has no idea that it's Mordecai. And he's, he's like, here's the idea I have. By the way, it's a biblical idea. We'll see in a second. The king told Haman... Hurry and do just as you proposed. Take a garment and a horse. And you can see the excitement, like, ha, ha, yeah, yeah, for Mordecai. <laughs> what? The Jew who's sitting at the king's gate, who's in sackcloth and ashes, who wouldn't wear Esther's clothes, and you've got to put a royal, you've got to convince him to wear a royal robe now. And it says, do not leave out anything you've suggested, Haman. you got a great idea. So Haman took the garment and the horse. He clothed Mordecai and paraded him through the city square, crying out before Mordecai, this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. (laughs) That had to be awful. But can I just tell you what God does in, in the Bible that's amazing? See, God always has these imageries that if you just take some time to know your Bible, which most people don't, if you'll take the time to read the scriptures over and over again, you'll see these beautiful imageries. You see, what's happening here and Haman's idea was actually a prophecy that Zechariah gave before Esther. It was the prophecy of the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. It was the prophecy that said there was going to be a son of Solomon who would ride in to deliver his people, a king who would ride on a donkey and be clothed properly, it says. It says... Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the full of a donkey. Haman is full of himself, and Mordecai is full of ashes and sackcloth for his people. Mordecai is a humble man who God elevates, and Haman is a bitter and wicked and prideful man that God's getting ready to just smash. And nobody sees this coming. And what's crazy, if you jump ahead to the end of the book of Esther, I'll give you a little hint. It's not Esther who gets the power and gets the kingdom in the end. It's actually Mordecai. This is the precursor of Mordecai riding in on a colt, just like the Old Testament would prophesy. And then all of a sudden, he's sitting on a throne underneath the king, the king's right-hand man, like God the Father and God the Son, carrying out the decrees. And we are the queen Esther just watching and celebrating that we got to be a part of it so thankful that we played our part Esther 6 says this then Mordecai 612 then Mordecai returned to the king's gate but Haman overwhelmed hurried off for home with his head covered he's hiding this is Genesis 3 he realizes uh-oh I'm in trouble because I've communicated to other people that I want Mordecai dead and now I've paraded him through the streets and everybody knows he's in trouble because look what happens. Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened. His advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, since Mordecai is Jewish and you have begun to fall before him, you won't overcome him because if your downfall is certain. Well, that was so nice of them. Their advice before was, you're awesome. You're great. We love you. You're so wonderful. You build gallows. You do what you want. Now they're like, yeah, you're gonna die. See, that's what bad counselors do. Bad counselors don't tell you the truth. They tell you what you want to hear, and then when they when it gets bad, they just ditch on you. They're done. I don't want to hear it. I'm out of here. It's exactly what they're doing. They're like, we don't want to be connected to you. You're in trouble. We're, yeah. Wait, that was your idea to build the well. You took it. You're you you took my advice. It's not my fault. Goes on. It says this while they were still speaking with him, the eunuchs of the king arrived and rushed. Haman to the banquet Esther has prepared. In a moment, Haman went from being the most excited, everything's going to happen great, to being completely and utterly afraid for his life. Now at this moment, when he gets ready to go to the banquet, we'll look next week, Haman could have went in. He could have repented. He could have asked for forgiveness. He could have, he does none of that. He Just tries to hide it. I want to talk about it, Just see how it all kind of plays out, like Adam and Eve. Goes on, Isaiah 53 says this. I love this passage. This is talking about Jesus, who has believed what we have heard, and who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? The arm of the Lord, the scepter. Who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground, This is talking about Jesus. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. We live in a culture that can't stand to value the suffering savior. We want to put the glorious Savior on the throne and all the things I can get from the royal Savior, but we don't want to be the Mordecai who cries out for repentance and cries out for God's mercy and ask God to come and change the hearts of people. In Isaiah, it says, when God chose to clothe his son, when Jesus chose to come and put on bodily form, it said he didn't take the form of a royal robe. He took the form of a lowly servant. He worked till he was age 30 doing construction before he even started his official earthly ministry. Everybody today is so busy to do something big for God right now. And when God sent his son, he's like, I didn't send him with any appearance that anybody would have noticed. Listen, he was not blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you know, white-skinned Jesus. That was not who he was. Had he come like that, everybody would have been like, he's weird would have questioned all kinds of stuff. He probably looked like a Middle Eastern man. Dark skin, dark hair, brown eyes, no real great appearance like and then they rejected him. They put him on the cross. In other words, when he gives that wedding story, he's the guy sending people out. The servants are going out and you're going to kill you don't want to come to my wedding. That I'm that I'm offering So Jesus was despised and rejected, and everybody thought that's the end, it's over, until there was the resurrection. And then it was like, whoa, no one saw that coming. As we wrap up, in Scripture, the last part of Scripture tells us again about clothing and how God clothes us. It says this in Revelation 21. We come to the end of the story someday when Jesus comes back and he, he brings back his bride and those that are invited finally get to be at the banquet. They get to be at the full wedding feast with everyone else. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That clothing's gone and the sea no longer existed. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned clothed for her husband. You know one of my favorite things to do at a wedding, I do it every time. One of my favorite things to do is when everybody stands up and turns to look at the bride, I always look at the groom, always. I just wanna see his face. I wanna see his response. I also wanna see if he passes out because I've seen that happen before, it's kinda funny. Because they lock their knees, and he's standing there, and he's panicked. and He's like, oh, here she comes, and then boing. And like, you know, and the gri- they have to catch him. It's, it's awesome. Anyway, she's walking. She's not going to pass out. That wouldn't be as fun. So I'm standing there watching, and I always look, and it's amazing to me to watch these men, and they're just they're, they're fighting tears. You know? Like, dude, just cry. It's okay. You know, and I mean, they or they're just like giddy and they don't know what to do. And they're like, you know, and you're like, you like Gomer Pyle up there. Like it's, I love to watch him just do it sometime. It's a riot, right? And I'm always concerned for the ones that don't have that reaction. When they're like, it's my woman. I'm like, eh, this may not work out well. Like I look at that image. That's the image that God gives here. Is that he's like, I'm the, I'm the groom that, that I'm waiting for you, and he's excited to see you. He's preparing a day when you will have your full clothing. You will be clothed fully. In, in Corinthians, it said he clothes us in his righteousness. You can't be prepared for that day. You cannot clothe yourself. You're not good enough. You can't do enough. Your Paul says, your works are like filthy and rags before God. Rags, unless... God has given you the works that He has called you to do, and you do them for Him, then they're beautiful garments of royalty. See, that's what this is saying. And then it says this. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look. This is like the pastor. Look! Look! God's dwelling is with you, man. These two are gonna get together and they're gonna make a new dwelling. This is awesome. Like, Can you imagine if a pastor said that as it's coming together? This is so good, it's awesome! Like Yeah, like that's exactly what's happening. It says, and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. See, to us, that doesn't make much sense. But in this day, in Jewish culture, at the wedding, the son would build a house on the back of the house that he would bring his bride to until he was able to afford a house. So you talk about, you know, son living at home till he's 30. They actually did that. Most of the time. And so he would bring the bride to the home, and their party would be going on in the front of the house while a party was going on in the back of the house. Get my drift. And then they would come out and say, we had the party, we're now consummated in our marriage. And everyone would clap, and there'd be a feast for a week. That's how it would be done. I know that seems crazy, weird. It's just it's what they did. Because that's exactly how God feels about us. He says, I want to invite you into the intimacy of a relationship with me that will blow your mind. And I know you're naked. I know you've got nothing to offer, but I'm offering you everything. And my father is offering you everything. If you'll just accept it. If, If you'll come to the feast. See, that's what this is. And Esther gets this. Mordecai gets this. And it is a beautiful picture of Mordecai, Haman, Esther, all these players in this story. And it's so easy to see us. You can see yourself like Haman's wife sometimes. You can see yourself like Haman himself. You can see an Esther maybe in you or a moment of Mordecai. You see these things and God says, I want you to wrestle with this. Because God says, there's coming a day when I want to to put you on display. Remember, Vashti wouldn't be put on display and God says, there's coming a day when I want to put you on display before my heavens to say, look at what I've done and look at how they responded. This is beautiful. That's the story of Esther. That's this moment where she put on the clothes and she prepared herself. And next week, we're gonna dive into the idea of Whatever you ask, whatever you ask, because the New Testament tells us that we can ask anything of God. And we're gonna look at what Esther does to that question because remember, we're now at this moment where Haman's going and Esther hasn't made her request yet. We really don't even know what she's going to request yet. If you think about the story, what's she gonna ask for? We don't know. She's now been given half the kingdom if she wants it. And this is where we set in the story. Let me ask you, do you believe that there's a God who loves you enough that you can come to him naked, dirty, and filthy, and he will clothe you so that you'll be ready for the banquet he has prepared for those who love him and know him? And once he gives you those clothes, are you willing to continue to put those back on, to go before people, and to let them know... (laughs) I'm nothing. I'm nothing to look at. Jesus was nothing to look at, but I have been clothed with a heavenly home, clothed with a new body, and I've been clothed with righteousness and love and mercy, and I am ready to take that out into the world like Esther did. If you don't know him, if you've not made that decision to believe that there's a God who wants to clothe you, who loves you, man, believe that, because that's who he is. And also believe that you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to say thank you and to show up. <laughs> Sam, I'm here. I'm, I'm yours. Thanks for the call. I just want to be around you. I want to I be at the party. And that's why we follow in obedience. Not because we, we're trying to get new clothes, not because we're trying to get something from God, but because we already know we've been given it all. And I just want to respond in gratitude for being invited.